Hi, I'm Dubba, I'm the Director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. UK journalist and writer Hattie Collins is the music editor for ID Magazine. She writes for The Guardian, The Sunday Times, Condé Nast Traveller, Beat, and more, and she's ghostwritten books for the likes of Tiny Temper, Jessie J, and Dynamo. You'll often hear her contributing as a cultural commentator on BBC Radio, and she consults to brands on youth lifestyle trends. Hattie's the author of This Is Grime, which features incredible images by award-winning photographer Olivia Rose, and it's one of those rare books about a music scene that has universal and unanimous five-star reviews all over Amazon. Hattie is pretty much the world expert on grime, and she writes about it in a way that's accessible, engaging, and also lets the subjects of the book, the artists, speak for themselves. This Is Grime is an oral history. Now, full disclosure, I know and like some grime and can probably name a handful of artists, but I am not an expert in any sense of the word. So I caught up with Hattie in Manchester a couple of months back and we sat down for a chat so she could fill in some of the gaps. This is Hattie Collins and this is Grime. Okay, first of all, what's grime? Grime is a type of music that came from East London, uh, originated in East London around the early noughties, around 2001, around that sort of time, 2002. Uh, Essentially speaking, it's uh, around 140 BPM, so it's faster, it's a bit more, I guess you could almost call it dance music, um, but it features MCs rapping over the top of it. What's the relationship, I mean, you hear rapping, what's the relationship between grime and hip-hop, say? I mean, there are elements, I suppose, that are borrowed from hip-hop, the fact that the MCs rap, um, but there's probably more in common with things like Jamaican dancehall, which was very much rooted in clashing. So there's a lot of clashing in grime, lots of like um, battles. Um, but yeah, in terms of the BPM, in, uh, in terms of the relationship between artists, it has more in common, I'd say, with Jamaican dancehall music than hip hop. But yeah, obviously they rap, so there is there are there are those similarities. Okay, so uh, let, let me just talk about how you got into this because uh, obviously you're you're a writer. You, what's your sort of background? What led you to this? Well, I long story short, I wanted to go and live in New York, and I thought if I was able to do that, I could. Uh, the way I thought I was able to do that would be to get a do a degree in hip hop because I was just a big hip hop fan, had been for years. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't exist, but. I started writing some reviews of stuff um, to try and get a to try and get a scholarship to go to NYU. I didn't get the scholarship, but I ended up getting published. Uh, and then I had the very um, good fortune to meet someone called Chantal Fiddy at my first job at Touch Magazine, where I was writing mostly about U- US um, hip hop and uh, R and B. And she introduced me to Grime. Um, she introduced me to Dizzy Rascal, a really early Dizzy Rascal record, uh, which I thought was absolute shit. But then a couple of days later, I was like, oh shit song you play play it again um and yeah and that was that was my introduction to grime i didn't know what it was didn't understand it didn't know if i liked it but something drew me in and that was around 2003 i think wow so really early on yeah long time ago yeah right. i'm old can i just just backtrack a little bit then because there's there's obviously there's a long journey that gets you to that i'm, I'm kind of interested what did your parents do and how did that uh, affect what you ended up becoming i mean none of my family none of my, my parents have nothing to do with music my I don't really know what my dad did. He sort of was like a stock controller or he took stock, like a white collar job. I have no idea. And my mum went back to university in her 30s and went on to become a lecturer. Uh-huh. But I think the music side from me came from my older brother, um, Jez, and um, my cousins, Mark and Loz. They just all used to collect music. And being from an Irish family, you would go over at Christmas. There was always, you'd have to sing 
whatever you'd have to sing a song whether it was like summertime billy holiday whatever like everyone had to do a turn uh-huh. so there was just yeah music was just very much part of the family makeup um and so I, I guess i can credit it really thinking about music in a sort of i guess critical sense as i started to as a journalist um and collecting music that definitely sort of originated i'd, I'd say from my, my older brother and cousins so the, the trajectory could have been that you became a musician yourself. Oh, I did play guitar for a bit. I was terrible. So no, and I can't sing. I think it was just, I think it was the journalism aspect. I liked, I really liked writing, liked writing as a kid, liked doing lots of like sort of like imaginative writing, uh, creative writing. Um, so there was a bit, there was a bit to do that. And it was, and a love of hip hop. Um, and somewhere those worlds collided and somehow it made sense for me to do journalism, but it was, it was never planned. What I thought I was going to be was an actress. I wasn't very good at acting. So luckily I decided to not do that anymore. And yeah, it, it, it sort of came back quite accidentally, really. The, the, so there was a creative thing that needed an outlet, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was some sort of creative urge, I guess. And perhaps, yeah, there was definitely something in me. And I, as I couldn't sing or rap, then I thought I might as well write about it. Okay. So how did grime happen? Well, it kind of came, I think it came about from a sort of sense of rejection from the UK garage scene. A lot of new people were coming through, a lot of young, a lot of the young boys are kind of, you know, in their mid to late teens and they wanted to make music, but the UK garage scene were like, you know, no, you guys are all this sort of very ragtag, you're wearing like trainers and tracksuits, you know, these are kids literally from estates and, um, and, and quite tough areas of East London. And Garage at that point was very flossy, very shiny, very moe, very Hennessy, very Moschino, like very designer. And they just didn't want these kids. So that kind of rejection, I sort of feel like it spiraled them into another direction. And slowly over time through various different people although obviously Wiley is quite often rightly credited as being the godfather of Grime he's the one that kind of brought it all together but different people started to make different sounds they started to speed up beats um, like they started to remix drum and bass and garage and jungle and all these different sounds that became known as Esky Beat and Sublo and 8 Bar and all these different kind of different names until it sort of coalesced and kind of officially became Grime around 2003 or four. Um, but it was, yeah, I think that sense of rejection from from the garage scene. Uh, it was also, you know, if you look at that time, 2001, 9-11 had just happened. And um, lots of the kids that were making grime lived right by Canary Wharf, right in the middle of Limehouse. So they would look out onto Canary Wharf and one, they would see uh, these symbols of huge success and wealth that they were looking at every day, but no, no, no way able to touch. And two, these were symbols that could at any point get planes crashed into them. Right. Um, and so I think there were lots of things like that. There were lots of social problems at the time in East London. You know, youth clubs were closing down, schools were terrible, healthcare was awful. There were lots of problems. Um, and so they started to make music that sounded like the despair and the anger and the frustration, I think, that they felt at that time. Mm. Well, that's my understanding from, from talking to people. That's hopefully not me just making it up. And that's sort of during the, the course of doing the book. And just having done interviews with people over the years, that's kind of what I've taken away from it, from people that um, very much were at the heart of the scene. That's kind of how I believe it all kind of came to be. There's one genre of music you haven't mentioned, which is yeah. dubstep. And it shares yeah. that 140 BPM thing. And yeah. I wonder, if, is that coincidental? How, how much overlap is there between those things? Oh, big overlap. Well, lots of people in dubstep uh, were in grime. Like people like Plastician um, had his feet in both uh, worlds. Um, the Night Forward at Plastic People was like a dubstep night. Um, but then, you know, lots of grime MCs would turn up there, like D-Double would turn up there to MC because there was nowhere else for them to play really or to, to spit. So they would go to places like forward just to practice um, alongside like people like Miss Dynamite. So there were, the worlds were really overlapped and it was the same sort of culture. It was all very much based in record shops. For dubstep, it was Big Apple and Croydon. For grime, it was Ribbon Division and on the Roman Road. 
Um, so the same sort of culture and the same sort of people and the same sort of thing. It was a bunch of mates making music, which is what Grime had been. And, and certainly with, with um, Dubstep, you know, Scream and Benger and all those guys down in South London, like that was the same sort of thing. It was just a bunch of mates making music. And so, yeah, Dubstep sort of sprang out of Grime. Um, and I guess it was, was a lot more instrumental led, well, was, was instrumental. Um, but the, the worlds were certainly very related and very close. And lots of MCs ended up kind of finding careers in that dubstep world for a long time. And then obviously like Diplo and people like that came along and ruined it and made it EDM. But um, what are you going to do? Well, I, I was going to ask you a question about that. The sort of the, um, I guess whether you call it the maturity or the sellout or, or whatever it yeah. is, where, where something starts really, really underground and then becomes sort of hyper mainstream. Yeah. And the changes and the sacrifices that are made along the way. I mean, is there still this kind of uh, grassroots going on there or, or has grime changed? Oh, grime's changed massively. I mean, and it's changed many times as well. It's sort of first wave of success. It absolutely sort of threw everything it stood for in the bin a little bit. It, the, the BPM went, uh, you know, these very commercial hooks came about, um, the clothing changed, you know, it all became pretty clean. Um, and, you know, lots of people made some good money for a little while. Um, and then I think there was a realisation that actually... No one actually liked the music they were making. They were almost particularly happy creatively. They'd made money, but it was, you know, not necessarily um, satisfying. So when Meridian Dan made um, German Whip, I think Skepta was like, okay, there's still something here in this grime thing. And that sort of started the wave of people returning very much to what grime had been, which was the BPMs and the tracksuits and people like Stormzy obviously became hugely successful. But, you know, you see the same thing again. Stormzy's album, which I love, um, isn't a strictly grime album. It's not Boy in the Corner that Dizzy made. There's gospel on there, there's R&B. Um, so the same things have happened again. You're seeing, you know, Skepta's doing a lot more kind of rap and drill now. Not really drill, but like a lot more rap uh, than grime. So you're sort of seeing again, as the success happens, you see people then exploring other avenues. So it's interesting with grime because it does seem to sort of make the same. I don't know if it's mistakes, but it seems to repeat the same patterns that it has in the past. So... Yeah, there's there's still very much an underground um, scene happening, but it's much, much smaller than it was in 2003, 2004. Right. Would you classify it as a political music? Very political, yeah. It's, it's completely political. And I think there's always been the idea that grime was violent and um, negative, but, um, uh, you know, misogynist, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, there were songs that were like that, but actually, really, it was much more... It was much more political than it was ever given credit for and much more political than perhaps, say, drillers these days. You know, drill is a whole sort of different thing. But grime was definitely, you know, I mean, there's so, there's so much politics in grime. Someone like Wiley is a perfect example. His, his lyrics are littered with, you know, really potent, powerful messaging about um, racial identity and uh, social politics. Um, someone like Stormzy. I mean, this is a really obvious answer, but when you know he used his stage at the Brits, he had one shot to perform at the Brits, and he took that opportunity to to directly address Theresa May and Grenfell. So yeah, it's in its DNA. I think grime is political because it's it could only be political. It came from politics. It came from you know this Tory government that had kind of taken away and stripped everything down. Um, you know the eighties or the crap that coming in the eighties and decimated whole communities the factories all closing down in East London and Dagenham and places like that, which happened in the, again, again in the eighties and ruined whole communities and the impact on, on that in places like Bow. So yeah, I mean, it, it came from lots of political and social issues that have kind of blighted, I suppose, the country um, over the last 30 years. How uniquely British is it? And, and within that, how uniquely London is it? 
It's hard to say because it ha- you can you do now find Korean grime and obviously you know grime MCs from Nottingham, um, Glasgow, which is brilliant. But I, do, I, I guess it's a bit like hip hop. You know, hip hop has huge influences from Jamaica. Hip hop kind of essentially was sort of taken from the idea of Jamaican music when Cool Herc came over to New York. And you, you get hip hop everywhere now, but hip hop to me is always going to be New York, and grime is always going to be not just London but East London. Th- these things are like a perfect storm, aren't they? I think so many different things happen to help build a musical scene, which then becomes a culture. Grime, you know, it's kind of a culture. Well, it is a culture now. So yeah, it's it's uniquely the slang, the the clothes, the way the clothes are worn, um, the t- the sound of the beats. You definitely would never get an American making a beat like a grime beat. Absolutely no way. It could only be British. It could only be London. It could only be East London. When it comes to growing a scene, one of the people who gets credited a lot for this is Marianne Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what was her involvement and influence? I would say Marianne Hobbs and dubstep, one hundred percent. I mean, she was she was the Chantal Fiddy of uh, dubstep, although in, in a different way because obviously she was she was on the radio and Chantal was a journalist. But yeah, Marianne, I, I would say more with dubstep. Um, she was certainly someone that championed it nourished it um from what i understood she was very much an advisor to lots of people she spoke to lots of artists she helped lots of artists in different ways you know behind the scenes um a huge part yeah a huge part of sort of disseminating and explaining this incredible music to perhaps people that were new to it did grime have a champion like that well i'd say chantelle yeah so she was the person that played me grime first of all uh so shan was shan is was a journalist she I guess a Martin Clark as well it's hard to yeah do you know what it's hard it's hard to say because Marianne obviously was on the radio I mean there's lots of champions in terms of like DJ Target on the radio or like Rinse FM I suppose with Grime it, there were so many different people there were photographers that you could credit that really helped to sort of visualise what Grime was and, and take that to places so yeah I don't know if there's one, any one person but certainly Chantelle was someone that um, again like Marianne Hobbs um, didn't just write about Grime but was very much a part of connecting different people so like Mike Skinner wanted a remix and she was like oh you should get this guy called Skepta to be on the remix and um, there's a guy called Wretch 32 he's quite good you know like I mean these were complete unknowns at that point right so you know there were there was a lot going on behind the scenes I'd say Chantal unofficially was kind of like an A&R in that sense and pirate radio things like uh, Runcy FM obviously yeah were, yeah were huge yeah yeah Sarah, oh, you know, again this is another person that's super important Sarah Lockhart um, was part of Rinse um, and she was also had a publishing arm I think is EMI so lots of people's first publishing checks were directly created by Sarah and lots of people I think in, in the book that I wrote I think quite a few people mentioned her like that's the first actual serious check I got um, so people like yeah Sarah was super influential and important as well what's really interesting is most of the names you've given me so far are women's names I know well there's Rebecca as well and I, I can't pronounce her last name Rebecca Proshnik, uh, one of the, who's a live agent she again was she took she took the, the boys on their very first trip I think it was Target there, was a, there were three or four of them took them to Iron Appa. that was the first time um, Grime had left had left London well, had left certainly left England. Um, so yeah, there are lots of really key women, and people often do say, "Oh, it's so, um, it's so, it, it's such a male genre, and why aren't there more women?" And like, there's plenty of women, and there was lots of women, female MCs as well. But women behind the scenes, I would say, have been hugely influential. Question about the internet: How yeah. much has that played a part? And you know, what have been mm-hmm. the sort of online scenes that have really uh, helped Grime? Well, Grime was. It's interesting because initially, with um, how it was spread was through old-fashioned tapes, so you would listen to Rinse or Deja or whatever on and record it, record it, and then you might pass that tape around your school and you, that someone might pass that to their cousin and that would eventually find its way up to Manchester and Birmingham and places. That's how it originally... So it very much rooted in very old-fashioned ways, but very quickly, um, MSM uh, Messenger came in and that was one of the first sort of technologies that Grime really uh, took hold of. 
it also really was, you know, lots of beats were made on PlayStation as well. So again, uh, really from it, from its very beginning, it, it was utilizing new technologies, and it has continued to do that through um, MySpace. Like Jamie was huge on MySpace, um, and I think a lot of the success uh, from 2014 to, to now of people like Skepta and Stormzy who aren't signed to a major label a lot of that is through social networks so their own social networks and the scene around it so if someone releases a track now Giggs puts out an album you're going to see 300 two, 300 people posting about that as well his his peers and his friends so Grime has hugely utilised that um, and was like in the early days I remember you know we would get people from like Japan and um, New York wanting to talk to us um because they'd heard they had stuff sent through LimeWire, so yeah, all these things. I think Grime was like at the time of the music industry was panicking about about what was going to happen, what the internet was going to do to Grime. Grime was like, uh, this isn't worrying at all. Like this, let's let's utilize it and and um, really get behind it because it was they could see how powerfully it was it was helping to spread their music. Right. So what's happening now that's exciting in the scene? With Grime, it's tricky. It's gone into a bit of a funny place again. I think uh, after the huge success of Stormzy and Skepta. Um, there are a few new artists that are coming through, but there aren't enough. Um, what was great about Skepta's sort of resurgence was that Stormzy was right behind him, a novelist, um, bonkers. There was a whole load of new talent and it doesn't really feel the same. What's happened now is is drill, rap, um, uh, Afrobeat is really dominating. Um, I don't know, yeah, black British music, that, that that's the story at the moment. Um, so Grime, it's fine. It's been, through its, it's been through its downs before. It'll come back again. But at the moment, I'd say it's a little bit dormant. Um, and it's sort of in the shadow slightly of drill. Who's your book for? Well, my book was for the scene. It was just for the, those guys. I just wanted them to, like, or their mums or whatever, to go into library in 20 years' time and pick it off the shelf and be like, wow, look what my kids did or look what my dad did or my mum did. I just wanted to document it in some way for them, and that's why I did it as an oral history rather than me saying what I thought grime was. I just took the words from everybody and rearrange them in a nice order let them tell their story yeah yeah exactly. it's a really interesting thing to do but i imagine it's something that is going to be picked up and studied uh, in the kind of the context where you were originally going to go and study uh, hip-hop music now people are going to be able to go and do a master's degree in grime and, and yeah. you're going to be the cortex that's funny isn't it yeah so kind of in the way i ended up going to nyu and doing a an ma in hip-hop except now maybe yeah people are going to do a degree in grime yeah it's kind of an interesting Circular. place to be in yeah, yeah interesting so what's next for you um i want to write a film I've sort of started writing a film, but uh, not about grime or anything. Um, and I don't know. I've got two jobs at the moment. They're both finished in the summer. So who knows what's going to happen? It's quite exciting. Quite looking forward to not knowing what's next. It's interesting because grime's starting to be portrayed in film a little bit as well. There's lots of, yeah, lots of, um, like, Target's made, uh, is making a film based on his book. I think Dan Hancock's is. Wiley has a film coming. Um, obviously Top Boy which isn't Grime but Top Boy's coming back which will, I'm sure will touch on Grime and Rap and Drill so yeah we're seeing it a lot more on screen and we're only going to see more and more I think maybe I should write a film on Grime I don't know can I be asked? I know what I would do if I did it though yeah. I'd have a woman at the front of the story that's what I'd do yeah if you were to say there was, there was kind of a legacy of Grime what's, what's, it, uh, what's it given us? I think it's helped to explain the the sort of the black working class experience in the noughties and, and onwards, you know, over the last 20 years. I think if you want to understand what people from, and it's not just from London, but from places all over the UK that are living, you know, below the poverty line in quite crappy circumstances with not much hope, you can listen to Wiley's Gangsters or Rico's Chosen One. Um, you'll, you'll, there's so many songs. Um, you know, you'll get the breadth of experience of what was happening in those last 20 years to those people. 
a lot of it was really sad but or worrying but lots of it was really funny there's a lot of humor and grime i mean it's it's incredible it's you know there's hip-hop there's jazz and now there's grime you know it's it's a whole musical genre it's a whole culture that's been created so um i think it's really great for british music as a whole um as important as trip-hop or uk garage whatever you want to whatever yeah, yeah or brit pop whatever like it's it's, it's it's leaving that legacy um as those other scenes have if someone was brand new to this where would they start I would start, well, I'd just start with Dizzy Boy in the Corner because it, it's still the best grime album, hands down. No one's touched that yet. And sadly, it was made in 2003. So wow. uh, hopefully someone will better that at some point. There's been other great albums, albums I absolutely love, Kano and Skepta and Stormzy, but it's it's the perfect grime album. It's pure, unadulterated grime. And you'll, I think listening to that, you'll understand a lot more about what it is. It's kind of blue for grime. Yeah, Yeah. Wow. basically. Yeah. Amazing. Hattie, thanks so much for being on You're this. You're so welcome. Thanks, Cheers. Papa. That's Hattie Collins, author of This Is Grime, and that's the MTF podcast. Hope you enjoyed, and if you did, remember to share, like, rate, review, and tell your friends. If you want to get involved in Music Tech Fest, go to musictechfest.net slash register. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, which is totally free and just means you'll get each episode delivered to you as soon as it's ready, you can do that in your podcast player of choice, or just go to musictechfest.net slash MTF podcast and hit the subscribe button there. Have a great week and we'll talk soon. Cheers. Thank you.